Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this What's Going On Wednesday episode. We're going to jump into some coverage here that's happened over the last couple of weeks here in the Spokane area and Washington State after some inspiration. Our inspiration today is Beauty for Ashes. In the aftermath of the Marshall Fire, the most destructive fire in Colorado history, one ministry offered to help families search through the ashes for valuable items. Family members mentioned precious objects they'd hoped were still preserved. Very little was. One man spoke tenderly of his wedding ring. He'd placed it on his dresser in the upstairs bedroom. The house, now gone, its contents had charred or melted into a single layer of debris at the basement level. Searchers looked for the ring in that same corner where the bedroom had been without success. The prophet Isaiah wrote mournfully of the impending destruction of Jerusalem, which would be leveled. Likewise, there were times we feel the life we've built has been reduced to ashes. We feel that we have nothing left emotionally and spiritually. But Isaiah offers hope. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn. God converts our tragedy into glory. He will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He promises to rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. At the Marshall Fire site, one woman searched the ashes on the opposite side. There, still in its case, she unearthed the husband's wedding ring. In your despair, God reaches into your ashes and pulls out the one truly precious thing, you. Heavenly Father, please turn our ashes into beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ashes into beauty. Yes, out of the ashes of Washington government that we talked about yesterday with the initiative process, we're sifting through the ashes of Olympia for common sense. I think we'll be doing a little bit of that today. And I I don't know that we're going to be finding any jewelry or diamonds in the rough, if you will. We're going to be really just looking into how do we combat this lack of common sense. And one of the things that was really common sense, I think for voters was that they weren't going to fund any more bonds for buildings in uh, really the whole region. The bonds failed. Now, one of those, I think one of the reasons I think is the threshold for bonds because the levies passed. And what we saw was we only had a 35.35% voter turnout which is a very low voter turnout. So obviously advocates of public education turned out in droves and that's why the levies passed here in the region, but the bonds did not. Now it wasn't just the threshold. If a lot more voters had voted, I have a feeling that both levies and bonds would not have passed. And people just see the growth in government Their assessed values on their homes, their taxes, cost of living continually going up, and the cost of government going up even faster. The Spokane County voters rejected the school bonds. So Spokane Public Schools had a $200 million bond proposal that would have paid for the latest phase in the decades-long effort to maintain and upgrade the district's 57 facilities, according to the Spokesman Review article. Well, I I think that... A lot of voters look at public schools, even if they're in favor of public schools, even if they have children, grandchildren, someone going to the public schools, whether it's in Spokane public schools or or otherwise, 
people just see the immensity of the schools. And one of the things that I point out to everybody that uh, asks me about it is, I think classrooms are important. I think education is important. I think children learning basic things is important. But so much of the educational models that we have in public education aren't about the basics. They're teaching them things that a lot of people don't approve of. They're also building structures that are immensely expensive. When you look at schools, do they need things that banks have? Growing up and you thought about it, who had reader boards, electronic reader boards? My question still is, why do they have new health clinics, CHAS health clinics going into to our high schools here in District 81? We have doctor's offices. We have students ages 18 and under that are covered by medical in Washington State if their parents cannot have them on a, a employer-based medical program. There are doctors everywhere. Do we really need to spend taxpayer money to put CHAS clinics into our high schools? Well, if you think Is about it really that, necessary? So, you, so now you got the cost of more space in the schools. And, and of course, the advocates are going to say that the healthcare needs of students is part of education because they have to be healthy students to be good students. And so, you know, I I remember you went to the school nurse, right? A lot of times the vice principal was the vice principal and the school nurse, right? Things like that. But we're now looking at schools that are immense. Yeah. Okay. So you got school-based health clinics, but they all have reader boards. Why do schools need reader boards? Well, they remind us to vote when a tax levy is on the ballot, right? And they use other means to tr- to remind us to vote too. It seems like the schools are becoming very political and we're paying for their activism to try to get people to turn out to vote. They pay the teachers on union days to go out and wave signs, yes, for the kids. Teachers get encouraged to take personal day or, or union day, whatever it is, to go and advocate for these bonds and levies. There's so many other days of the year that the children are not in school, that those teachers are not in classrooms. So why during the school year do they need to send the teachers out and wave signs on corners around their districts. Well, and I think the biggest problem is is that the schools, I'm going to go back to this article really quick. So support for the school taxes in Spokane County has tumbled in the last six years. And I think this, the questions that you and I have are the same questions that other parents are asking, which is why the support for school taxes has tumbled in the last six years. In 2018, 70% or more of voters backed the levies in the Spokane Public Schools and in the Mead and Central Valley School Districts. All this last Tuesday were under 55%. And besides inflation and other concerns about the economy, here's what I don't get. School districts were also up against organized opposition. So instead of it being that... Parents are having the same questions that we are having. You're not teaching our students math. You're not teaching our students about reading, writing, and all the other subjects that are actually important for students to learn. You're teaching things outside the scope of what we feel that you should be teaching. So we don't need bigger buildings. We don't need these other things. We need you to focus on teaching our children, which is why the levies passed and not the bonds. Okay, But now they're they're claiming that the reason why is because it was because of organized opposition. Well, the organized opposition might be people that have podcasts and People, I think some of their organized opposition that they had was also that they had someone actually write this year opposition in the voters pamphlet, which we had that interview on the show a while back. But of course, there's opposition. I think the, the organized opposition 
was more voters. And a lot of it was probably voters that traditionally vote in favor of these levies. And they didn't turn out and vote because they couldn't justify raising their own cost of living. We hear politicians talk about affordable housing all the time. It keeps getting less and less affordable. People are paying record numbers of taxes. You look at property taxes, all the assessed values are up. People can't afford to buy a house. Their children can't afford to move out and buy a house on a basic income. And so what people probably realized was that look at this big fancy school that just got built down the street. Yeah, it's state of the art. It's great because, you know, they could have just built a building like a normal building that's square and doesn't have all these, you know, amenities and outcroppings that are totally expensive to build. But again, why do they need a reader board? They're spending a million dollars of the 90 million now that it costs to build a school for a reader board. You walk into these newer schools and they have these enormous open areas that aren't designed for learning or anything. It's just the entryway and you have to pay for the heat. You have to pay for the lights and you have to pay for the construction of these enormous entryways where a lot of folks remembered going to school. You walked in the door, you took a left. That was the office. You took a right. That was uh, classrooms. You went straight down the hall. That was more classrooms. They didn't just have these massive corridors and areas. And, and, you know, obviously there's a gym, there's certain aspects of schools you expect, you know, the, the multifunction rooms, but there's just so much space there that's not used so much of the year. Why do the schools need to be so expensive? In Spokane Public Schools, 4.8% of their general fund budget goes towards central administration. In Central Valley, it looks like it's 4.6%. So we have the Yes for Kids campaign that sent uh, looks like mailers to the Spokane Public Schools District residents. One who funded that, the yes for public schools. We'd have to go to the Public Disclosure Commission to find that out. But there's always been pro for the kids campaign. So they're complaining that there was opposition. People saying, wait a minute, we pay enough taxes already. The schools have record dollar amounts to operate with. They should be able to do it with the money they already have. Why do they need to take more money? And we've seen it. School administration costs way more than it used to. Back when they were talking about teachers' salaries, we saw administrative costs going way up and teachers' salaries only going a little bit up. Well, and I think, so it says, districts often seek levy renewals on a two- or three-year cycle. All county school districts use taxes collected from the educational programs and operations levy to bridge the gap between what districts deem necessary for education and money provided by the state per their enrollment-based basic education funding formula. Well, enrollment-based, that would mean that the state is funding based upon per student count. But we know that that's not the truth, that the state's been funding it at pre-COVID numbers because a lot of students left the traditional classroom because the parents weren't happy with the education they were seeing happen and sought alternative education for their children. Right. And the levy dollars pay for everything beyond basic education including all extracurricular offerings, supplemental teachers to lower class sizes, school safety and technology and support staff. Well, I think that's another area that we need to remember technology. We were bought into that children all had to have computers, got to have computers in all the classrooms, computers, computers, computers. That costs a lot of money. Books and paper has always been a good model of education. In fact, that's still a model of education that the big tech people send their kids to because they realize that the computers and electronics are a distraction to actual education oftentimes. 
Well, I just think that if the district actually takes a look at it, I don't think it didn't pass because of opposition. I think it didn't pass because parents are saying, we want extracurricular activities for our kids. We want you to be teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Quit spending the money in places that it's not needed. Use the funds that we're giving you and cut back your budgets. Well, and cut back on the extracurricular things that are not educational, that are not traditionally part of education, but they're, you know, the radical clubs that we've now seen just littered through education where we're spending money to facilitate discussions that are happening in our public schools that parents really don't appreciate. And so I I think that going into the future, those are issues, but there's also just the simple fact of everybody's had to pare back on their budgets because of inflation and the schools have had record dollar amounts coming in because the assessed value of properties have skyrocketed in the last decade. They have more money already. They don't need to ask for more. Anyways, that's enough on education. What is going on? I really would like to know sometimes, you know, there was a newspaper article that came out. This was actually just Sunday, uh, this last Sunday, and it's talking about military families going hungry. And I think about it, military families going hungry. What would be a, a problem with that? Why, why are people in the military needing to have food pantries at our military bases because the families don't have enough food. Wait a minute. I think we have all the money in the world to send to foreign nations for humanitarian aid, or we're sending it to Ukraine. And it's kind of strange because I'm kind of wondering all that money that's gone supposedly to the Ukraine effort. It seems like there was enough money there to rebuild multiple countries and it's just money that just goes out there. I'm, I'm wondering why we don't see more opposition from places in Europe about how much money is being spent there. And the result is that basically the, the Russians keep marching forward. Now, Russia did uh, claim complete control of another town in Ukraine and Biden administration's basically saying that it's because the Congress delayed the, the monetary supports and supports from the U.S., and I just don't see that as realistic. When are we become realistic? We talked about educa- educational funding in the first half, and it's totally unrealistic. $20,000 per student is what it costs to teach a grade school kid. It's insane. That's way too much money. Why does it cost $100 billion U.S. dollars, or a couple hundred billion, I guess, is probably what we're at spending now, going to a country, how is that going to help them win a war when their country is a tiny slice of what their opponent country is? And of course, I think it's a horrible situation. Don't like war. Don't like us being in foreign entanglements. It's too bad that wars happen around the world. But the Russians are continuing where they want to continue. It's going to take physical force of European nations, maybe the UN, whoever it is, to stop them, sending money to a very small population in a very small country to fend off a large country with a large population is just totally unrealistic. But there's so many things that are unrealistic in our policies in government today. And I want to step to uh, the front page of that Sunday paper. There's two articles right next to each other. One has to do with uh, Representative Newhouse says immigration reform can't wait And then the next article is shortage of inpatient drug beds in state persists with no solution in sight. 
So what's interesting about that is a lot of our drugs are coming from south of the border. Why do we need more inpatient drug beds? Because we have more and more people, including children, getting addicted to drugs. This article has to do with a 13-year-old that apparently had some mental health issues and got involved with drug addiction. Why are the drugs so readily available on the streets? Well, maybe it has to do with the graph on the southwest border apprehensions that went from about 30,000 or 20,000 back in 2020. Now we're talking about 2021, 2022, 2023, well over 100,000, up to the 200,000, up to 300,000 people illegally coming into the country. And of course, we know that a lot of that has to do with drug cartels. There's been massive drug busts. But our, our solution to that was, interestingly enough, in more than a week ago's Spokesman Review front page article, experts recommend people start carrying anti-overdose Narcan. So next to that article was a Noxalone kits use in Spokane graph. And it basically laid it out that upwards of 400 Noxalone. Narcan. Basically Narcan. Naloxone kits use in Spokane, basically Narcan, were handed out 400. People reported that they had used their last dose of Naloxone were anywhere between 85 and 270. So our, our, our problem is overdoses. So the solution is just everyone carrying a drug reversal drug. So here's what the, the article quoted. We would like most people to carry naloxone, said Dr. Scott Phillips, Washington Poison Center's medical director. Spokane Regional Health District syringe services coordinator Samantha Carroll tells people to always have the drug with them if they can. Everybody should carry Narcan. I like to say that because you never know who you will come across, she said. So everyone's just supposed to carry this drug that counteracts the other drugs that are illegally on our streets. I don't see that that's a good solution. Right now in our government, what we've decided is we need more blood donations because we have gaping wounds that are just bleeding out everywhere. So instead of trying to find a way to put pressure on the wound and stop the bleeding, we're just going to get more blood donations, Shannon. That is the kind of theory of governance that they're looking at. Don't put pressure on the wound to stop the bleeding. Just get more blood donations. That's what the solution is for the drug epidemic here in our local area, as well as nationally. Close the borders. Go after drug dealers. Go after the drug cartels. Enforce the law. Make students go to school instead of skipping school and doing drugs. There's a lot of other ways than just handing out a drug that counteracts another drug. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Well, I don't know that Kansas has these policies, but maybe they do. It's, it's just the insanity that we, we think that we're going to stop a war by sending money somewhere. Because normally force requires force. It doesn't require just money. You, you can't take the smallest military in the world and have them go after the third or fourth largest military in the world because you sent them money. How, who would ever think that's effective? Just like you're not going to stop this drug epidemic and the increasing number of drug overdoses when obviously these people are getting the Narcan, they're using the Narcan kits in Spokane County because they're coming across so many other people that are overdosing or they're overusing them. 
And of course, on the drug issue, one of the issues we have here in Washington state is we don't have enough police. We don't have enough law enforcement. And of course, we have some bad situations that just unfolded here in Spokane. We're supposed to be looking for a new police chief and uh, as well as a fire chief. And our mayor spoke out because there was a string of shootings. The statements that she made in the article where she was quoted really stuck out to me. So here's the article from Thursday, last Thursday. Mayor says, more work needed to recruit new police and fire chiefs. And this is uh, amid a spat of police shootings this week. Spokane Mayor Lisa Brown announced Wednesday that there's more work to be done before the hiring process for cities, permanent police and fire chief can begin. Brown addressed a recent surge of violence, including two incidents Monday that ended with police shooting and killing suspects. We all want things to be better than they have been in recent times, and I firmly believe that they can be. There's not a single solution to these problems, she said. The improvement that we seek is not going to happen overnight, but we are Spokane. We care about people, and when we take on big challenges, we are at our best. So I hear platitudes. I hear statements that really mean nothing to me when I see government policy continually going in the wrong direction. They really go nowhere. But now we have, we had three, we had three shootings. Involving police, yeah. Involving police and upwards of nine, I think it's upwards of nine to 12 officers that are now on leave. Our police department is strained. We're already last in the nation for having enough police on the force per capita that we're supposed to have for our size of city as it is to begin with. And now all of those officers are on leave until the investigations can be completed and determinations can be made. Right. Well, and of course, the platitudes that politicians give us aren't good solutions. Maybe there's too much strain on our population of government regulation, government incompetence, increased cost of living, taxation, confusions in our culture, because our government is funding all sorts of things that adds confusion to our culture. I think the number one thing, if they wanted to reduce crime and, you know, reduce all these kinds of problems, reduce the size and scope of government, get government back to its fundamental roles, because a lot of the chaos that's going on is the same. We're, We're funding blood donations. We're not putting pressure on the wound. We're not putting pressure on the wound, but... You know, I think that we're we're dealing with a city council and a legislature and a legislature that doesn't support our police force. And the reason why we're last in the nation is because nobody wants to work for our city. We don't have officers that want to come here and work. Well, we do to some extent. We we have laterals over the last several years when we had a well, I guess we had a different mayoral administration at that point. So maybe under the new mayoral administration and her ties to anti-police activists. Maybe less police will be coming from places like Seattle and Portland to leave those kinds of environments that are anti-cop. And so government is continually doing these things that just open up the wound even further. And another example is a bill in the legislature that wants to regulate hospital mergers in Washington. And uh, last week it passed the House. And there's basically communities that, obviously we've seen it here, where large corporate hospital organizations have taken over a lot of the healthcare. So according to an article that has just came out uh, this last week, 
eight healthcare systems own more than 90% of the hospital beds in Washington, and one healthcare system owns 100% of hospital beds in six counties. Okay, so why is the legislature getting involved with this? And of course, we should have had the legislature involved long ago when you start talking about uh, antitrust laws and competition, because that's another issue. So where's the competition if just a handful of organizations owns the industry? Well, you know, this discussion in this bill doesn't have to do with you and I finding competitive healthcare organizations so that it brings down costs, it gives us choice in doctors. No, 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 no. The only reason why they want to regulate mergers is to make sure there's access to abortion care. That is how ideological our government has become. They They have these single issues, whether it's anti-gun, anti-police, and they just seem to make situations worse and worse for the citizenry. So they they don't want to regulate hospitals and regulate mergers so that there's competition and access to healthcare more broadly for everyone in the community. Their focus is their political donors, the abortion industry. Well, I think all the citizens should have a problem with it because we're already having doctors leave their practices in droves. Well, we are. And I think that some of those doctors are psychologists and uh, state lawmakers are also considering loosening restrictions for psychologists. And of course, I don't trust Olympia anytime they do anything. So I'd have to read a lot more into this bill. It was a bill that passed the House of Representatives unanimously, but psychologists have been highly regulated and to some extent for good reason. But when it comes to lots of things that we're facing in our culture, the psychologists, these doctors in the industries are regulated from actually caring for the patient because first they have to pay attention to the government mandates that control how they can serve their customers and their psychology in their psychological practice, like issues around gender, things like that. So we have less psychologists that are wanting to come here, or maybe they're going to school here, and they don't want to stay here because of their restrictions in how they help their patients in their practice for psychology. So it's very obvious that government is the problem, not the solution on most of these issues, but it should be the solution. We can't just continuing to see a government overdose on overtaxation, and we shouldn't see a population where we all have to carry a drug to counteract a drug because we don't have police. We're not enforcing the law, and drugs are ruling the streets. Big problem here, I think, in Washington, as other uh, major cities have seen, the, the scourge in fentanyl. I think it's time for law enforcement to be put back into its role and to function practically in the way they used to. So imagine the power of the entire body of Christ intentionally praying for our government leaders on a daily basis. I want to encourage our listeners to go to www.rightspokaneperspective.com and check out our 2024 prayer guide that includes every single name of everybody that is elected into the legislature for senators and representatives We have time and time again hit our knees and asked for God to intervene. All of the things that we're seeing in the news, all of the things that we're struggling with, with 
our kids in schools, our school system, the things that are being taught to our kids. Folks, if you have not hit your knees, I think it's time. Well, I got to pray for the legislature. We got to pray for wisdom. We got to pray for closure to uh, issues for our government so that they actually can put bills together, laws together that are going to make positive difference in our communities. And I think one of the the things that we should pray about isn't just uh, elected leaders, but we have to pray for good leaders to step up and run for office. Another big article that occurred was the great debate, and that is folks that are going to be filing for uh, the 5th Congressional District position that Kathy McMorris-Rogers is looking to leave here at the uh, end of next year. So we're going to have a a huge debate about the candidates. And they're, of course, looking at dozens of people they think that are known names that might run for that position. But there's a lot of positions going to be open this year. And I think that we should start praying for people of um, common sense and wisdom to step up and run for elected office in places where folks are at now that are not really serving or representing the people well and just continually to see this explosion in the sore, bleeding sore that government has created for the taxpayers and our culture overall. And the reasons why is because our government was meant for a good and moral people. It's time that our good and moral people stood up and ran for office. That's right. Well, we're out of time for today's show. We'll be with you folks again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.